I'm going to read to you a piece of Talmud, if I can quickly find it. Yeah, okay. Uh, we all know that um, when the Jewish people were offered the Torah by God, they responded with two words. Can anyone remember what the two words were? Or actually, in Hebrew, it's two words. In English, it's six words. Or seven, if you count and as one of the words. We will hear and we will say. We will do and we will listen. We will right. we'll okay. do and we will listen. Right. In Hebrew, we will do, we will listen. What, what, what is it in Hebrew? Na'aseh v'nishma. Na'aseh, we will do, v'nishma, and we will listen. The Talmud in Shabbat, tractate Shabbat, says the following. Bisha'a, I'm going to read it to you in Hebrew, I'll translate it. Bisha'a shehekdimu Yisrael na'aseh v'nishma. At that moment, when the Jewish people said the word na'aseh before nishma, Sixty angels came down to every Jew, and they tied, they bound onto them two crowns. One corresponding to na'aseh, we will do. And the other corresponding to Nishma, we will listen. So they gained two crowns. And then the problem goes on to say that when they served the golden calf, they lost those crowns. So what are these crowns? What does that mean? Right? Again, if you were standing there, you're sitting there, you're watching, or you're, you're, you're participating. I don't know if I told you. I, I, one of my classes, one of my high school classes that I taught, so as we were going through, I wanted to really teach them to visualize what it felt like to be at Sinai. So all the girls in the class gave me these very, very deep personal accounts. The boys, right? And again, I explained it in detail. The boys, you know, you, that's, which is very typical with most of these reports, you get very different things from the girls, very different things from the boys. So one of the boys, Right, so again, so I want them to really capture how it felt to be in this mystical experience, to hear the word of God. So he sits and he describes it, and he, he's describing his, his time at Sinai. And he says, I'm standing there at Sinai with all the Jewish people. We're here together, packed in, millions of us. Everything turns dark. We're transcending, we're getting closer to God. When suddenly, I have to pee and I don't know what to do because we're packed in and I cannot find And we stand against Sinai and he's got, he has to go to the bathroom. We're like, oh. That's funny. It's a desert, just pee. It won't make a difference. <laughs> right, let it go. It's like peeing in outer space, right? What happens to it? It just, you know, it just goes. Evaporate. Yeah. So, right, imagine you're sitting there and you're uh, and, and and you're watching. So what is this? What are these crowns, right? Does everyone sit there? Does everyone get does this crown suddenly, you know, beam down like Star Trek and you know and, and, and come onto their heads? And then, like, what is it talking about? What's the Talmud telling us? What is the Talmud telling us? 
So listen closely and listen deeply because this is the idea. I want you to do just to make sure that you got it. The word that they said was naase vinishma. We will do and we will listen. Naase. I'm going to share my screen with you for a moment and take you back to a verse in the beginning of the Torah. This is at the end of the seven days of creation, or at the end of six days of creation, when all of creation was already created except for man. Right here, Vayomer Elohim, do you see my mouse is? Verse 26. Vayomer Elohim, and God said, Naaseh Adam B'Talmenu. Let us make man in our image, kidnuseinu, in our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds and the animals, and all the land, and all of the creeping things that creep upon the earth. And then the next verse says, And God created man in his image, the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is the creation of man. And I want you to take a look. Notice over here, this, hold on a second, this word right here. What is that word? Okay. Na'aseh. Na, no, not bad. No, Listen closely. What did the Jewish people say when they were at Sinai? Na'aseh We'll do, we will listen. What word did God use when God created human beings in his image? Na'aseh Adam. The same word. The same word. We're going to get back to that in a moment. The commentaries right here in, in Bereshit, when God says, Na'aseh, let us make. This word is the, is, is the subject of very, very lengthy pieces of Kabbalah. Because the, there's a, an obvious question that one could ask on this verse. God said, let us make man in our image. Does, what, what, does anything bother you about that sentence? God said, let us make man in our image. Ask a question on the verse. A simple question. A simple question. Don't think like a Kabbalist. Think like you're honestly learning it. Well, he says our image. Okay. But God's singular, I would think. Bonnie, excellent, excellent. And again, you skipped to, the, to our image, but even before that. And God said, let us make man in our image. Who is God talking to? Man hadn't been created. Man hadn't been created. So who's God? Oh, yeah. The angels. Adam? Is this Adam and Eve? This, this <laughs> is the creation of Adam and Eve, but he couldn't have been speaking to Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve were Somebody said the angels, and that yeah. is a fair answer. And in fact, some of the commentaries answer the angels, right? That's, that's one answer that is given. God is speaking to the angels. But does God, but the problem with that is, 
Does God partner with the angels in the creation of anything? God doesn't need a partner to create Why would God be speaking to the angels? Why does he need the angels' help in creating man? God creates man. The angels do God's bidding. The angels might be intermediaries. We've discussed angels, but angels don't create. Was he talking to Moses? When God said it, Moses was wasn't even in the picture yet for another thousand, couple of thousand years. All right. I'm curious what you meant by that. I'm curious what you what, what what did you mean actual Moses or did you mean some sort of like heavenly vision? No, I meant actual Moses. Yeah. No, again, we're to, this is just just to be clear, Ben. This is the very first. This is the beginning of the Torah. This is the creation of Adam. The first human being. No other human being. So the commentary. So again, some of them say the angels, but the Kabbalistic commentaries are not happy with that. So the Kabbalistic commentaries tell us something that is very, very deep, and something that actually we spoke about in our last series. I'm just going to stop to share for a second. We'll share it again uh, shortly. I just like to see more more faces. So we mentioned in the last series that if I would ask, if, if, if you weren't part of the, the series and you didn't learn the, the Kabbalistic books, and I asked you, what was the, when was man created? When was man created? So if you have any biblical familiarity, you would say, well, man was the last part of creation. He was created on the sixth day before Shabbat. If you participated in the last series, you know... No, 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 it's not that simple. Was man really created on the last day? Oh, there was a part of man that was created last. What part of man was created last? The human body. Physical aspects of human beings. Got it. What about the soul of man? That comes first. I guess that comes first. The soul of man was created even before the creation process started. The soul of man, this is what we, what, what, what we studied from the Nefesh Achayim, from Rabbi Chaim Malajan, the great Kabbalist. We saw this inside, we saw the text, where he says that man's soul, the beginning of man's soul was created first, so that the soul of man is actually the highest form of being in creation. And then as creation evolved, it's a weird word to use, but I guess the best way to say it, as creation evolved, the whole evolution of the seven days of creation was all God taking a point of spirituality and clothing it more and more and more and more and more until we get to this physical world. Man's body is created last, but we said that man's soul is like a ladder. And therefore, our soul exists not only in this, our body exists in this physical world, but our soul exists in all spiritual worlds. So, to give the example that we gave many times. Do it. This has always been my favorite example, and I've been using it since Bonnie was still coming to my classes at H. If you take a website, you're interacting, if you're the user, you're interacting with the front end of the website. If you have control of the back end of the website, then you go one layer back. If you're the programmer, you go into a, a layer back. And depending on how technical you are, how much access you have, you're going farther and farther back. 
So a programmer can program the website from the very back end. He can maintain the website from the middle end, or he could use the website from the user end. He has access to all levels. And the same thing is true with how the world operates. The, the world that we, that we uh, experience with our senses is only the physical world. That's the front end of the website. And we can do little things. We can click here, we can drag, we can do some little things here, little changes. But we also have access to the back end of the website, right? That is through our prayers. We also can program the website. And that's when we get to even a higher place in our souls. Depending on how high we get on the spiritual ladder in our life, that is going to affect how much we're able to accomplish in this world. And we can accomplish more than just with, 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 our, with our senses. So therefore, the Kabbalists explain the following. When God says, Naaseh, let us make man, who is God speaking to? God was looking into all of the spiritual worlds, and he was saying, this, the human being that we're about to create, everybody's contributing. Everybody's putting in something. Right? All of the different spiritual worlds are going to contribute so that man is going to exist not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual worlds as well. But again, it, it, it's hard to imagine because if you ask, we feel, we feel often that we only, because our, our consciousness is bound by our senses. So we often feel that we exist only in the physical world, but it's not totally true. Every single one of us, we have access to the spiritual worlds as well. That's why we pray. That's why we do mitzvot that are completely irrelevant to our life. When you shake a lulav, right? Like, yay, I'm making the world a better place because I'm waving a palm branch. No. No, what you're doing is you have access to the deeper spiritual worlds. Now, you might not be conscious of that, but it doesn't mean that you can't be. When we're shaking, we're just shaking. But if you look at someone who has trained their brain, trained their mind, who meditates properly beforehand, who puts themselves in the proper frame of mind and then does it, they actually have a consciousness, they have an awareness of, of, of the spiritual world as well. And that's something that, that, that we can really all, even if we can't experience it directly because we're not yet there, we can all experience it somewhat. I, I, I discussed uh, with this group last week, I told you just about a few of my personal experiences, even just getting even slightly beyond. We're not talking about crazy, right? I, again, I wish that I had divine inspiration. I can see into the... All right, but we've all had experiences. I asked you guys in, in, in when we were still together at the JCC, tell me a time that you felt deeply in touch with your soul. And some of you said out in nature on a mountaintop or when listening to music or connecting deeply with others. So we have these deep spiritual experiences and that's just a taste. If we could have that, then we could have it in an even deeper way, an even richer way, because it's a part of us. We're connected to those worlds. Does that make sense? Okay, I hope so. Think about that just for a moment while I sip my pomegranate tea. Okay. Please tell me if that doesn't make sense to you or if I lost you on that or if you have any questions on that. 
So when God says, let us make, God is speaking to the spiritual world that had already been put in place. And God is saying, everyone's got to contribute to mankind. So that when human being is, body is created, he is now, the body's the lowest level, but he also has soul and soul and soul and soul, all soul levels. Okay? We said that in total, there are five soul levels. Five. We discussed them in some of the previous courses. The level soul level that we naturally experience is called nefesh. Everyone here, we're all operating on the plane of nefesh. And uh, depending on how much you spiritually refine yourself, you can experience more and more and more of your nefesh. The next level up is called ruach. Ruach is the soul level that you feel when you are, you feel like you're just, like you're, you're, like you're, you're, you're blasting beyond. Deep, deep spiritual experiences are Ruach. Ruach might be something that you're tasting when you're at the Western Wall or when something happens or maybe you, 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 you feel it for, you get a sense of it maybe if you're present, well, if you're present in the room when somebody else is having a baby. I guess when you're having a baby. Yeah, you could call it, you would call it, what, what, what you would probably call it is more pure consciousness rather than pure joy. Okay. Pure consciousness. It's something that's absolutely beyond. You're like, I just tasted a different world. This was not this world. I just tasted something else. Okay? So that's the next level beyond. The reason that it's called ruach, which means wind, is because it comes in stages. It's something that comes like the wind and goes, and then is gone, gone like the wind. It comes and goes. It's, it, it, it's a hard level to maintain. The word nefesh, which is our present soul level, nefesh means resting because it's it's maintainable. It's maintainable. We don't. It's not. It's not a, an experience that comes and goes. It's a plane of consciousness that we could remain on. Plane of consciousness that we could remain on. That is ruach. Most of us don't ever really go beyond Ruach in this life. The question is how often you can access it. But there is a higher level that one could experience. Anyone remember from previous classes what the next level is called? Nishama. Nishama is the one, is, is, is the consciousness level that's even beyond that. There are two more soul levels that are on top of that called Chaya and Yechida. We cannot experience those soul levels in this body. It's too powerful. You might experience it in the next world, but the soul experience, the, the levels, the planes of consciousness that we experience in this body, in this lifetime, is Nefesh for most of us. Ruach is the special one. And then Nishama, if you're really, really striving towards greatness. Anything that's important to me isn't to you. Okay. So, Bonnie, I just muted you a little bit just to tune out some of the conversation. So, um, so those, okay. Now, with this in mind, any questions at, up, up, up until now? Because this is going to be the, the important point. Okay. So listen closely. When 
Adam and Eve are created. And they're in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the ideal state of man. That means in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were on the level where they experienced their nefesh, their ruach, and their neshama. That was the highest possible experience. Man was not created in the physical, it, 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 with physical consciousness like we are, yearning to get to climb the ladder. Man was created on the top of the ladder, already attaining that level. That's the idea that it says that Adam and Eve were created, they were naked and they weren't embarrassed. The idea behind that is that they were not on physical, they weren't experiencing physical consciousness. They were on a high spiritual plane. What happened? What happened is that they fell from that level after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They incorporated evil in them and therefore they fell to the bottom of the ladder. So therefore, if Adam and Eve would, have, would not have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then when we would have been created, all of us, we would be created, we would be born into that higher level of consciousness. We would be born at our capacity. And we can mess it up, obviously, but that's not, but that's not the, the launching place. We're born in that perfected state, and then we have a chance we could, you know, to fall. But because Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, that changed the way human beings are born. So now we're born with, our, with, with the lowest level of physical consciousness, but we have the ability to climb the ladder and try to get back to the garden, back to Eden, back to this higher consciousness. Right, so therefore, we're now all on the level of nefesh, and we try to access ruach. We try to access neshama. Does that make sense? Now, let's return to this piece of Talmud. And now let's read it again. And now we have a, a bit more of a Kabbalistic understanding of what the Talmud is talking about. Bishaa. <laughs> One second. Hold on a moment. Okay. At that moment, when the Jewish people said, and they said the word, the magic word, the magic word is a word that links them back to the original. The connection between the two. Why did they specifically use that word na'aseh? Because what they were pretty much telling God is, they were saying, God, when Adam, when Adam Arishon, when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, you created him using the word na'aseh, which means that you gave him as a gift, not only his nefesh, but his ruach and his neshama. Na'aseh, they all contributed to that. Every level of existence contributed. Na'aseh, they all made it. He was made with all of those. Now, na'aseh the nishma. We are ready to get that. We're ready to reclaim the na'aseh. You get it? We're ready to reclaim those higher levels of ruach and neshama that we lost. That for the last... 2,500 years, right? 
up until that point, humanity was trying to get it back. When the Jewish people stood at Sinai, they said, Naseh, bring it on, baby. We were ready to reclaim those higher levels of consciousness. What happens next? 60,000 angels came down the Chalach of Yisrael to every single Jew. They put on their head two crowns. We asked in the beginning, what are these two crowns? The two crowns are the two higher levels of consciousness. Mm. The Ruach consciousness, the Neshama consciousness, these higher levels of consciousness, they, they, they got it back. They got it back. That's why it says the Kabbalists say, I'm going to quote to you, I'm going to give you a, a, a Hebrew, I'll, I'll tell you the way it is in Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever. This is the language of the Zohar, right? This log Gomer yesterday. The language of the Zohar is that when the Jewish people stood at Sinai, Paska Zuhama Shonachash. Paska means it seized, it stopped. Zuhama. Zuhama means the contamination of the Nachash, of the serpent, the original evil inclination that brought them down to that level. They got it back. They got it back at Sinai. Now, it happens to be I'm just going to mute everyone because there's a lot of background noise. So let me just try to mute all. Just for now, you can unmute yourself at any time that you'd like. Okay, so it happens to be that um, they did not keep it for long. They went and they worshipped the golden calf. And the commentaries say that it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and they sin, and they get kicked out. And it's no coincidence that the Jewish people, when they're at Sinai, and they regain Eden consciousness, they also mess up. Because here's the deal. The higher that you are on the spiritual ladder, we know that there's a concept called free will. And free will means that that God always places us with positive energy that can pull us up and negative energy that can pull us down. And the negative energy that can pull us down is always going to be as strong as the positive because we always need to be in that struggle. That's the way we become godly. We become godly when we are in a place of struggle. So if God puts someone in your life who is an amazing, amazing influence, guess what? That is also going to put somebody in your life that's going to try to pull you down. The more that you become inspired, the more that you're going to be put in situations that are going to try to deflate that. You're always there. You're always in between that struggle. So that means that when God cranks up our spiritual consciousness, that also means that the tests, the challenges are going to be even greater. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were faced with a massive, massive test. We don't fully grasp it. We just hear about serpents and eating from the tree. This is all just language to us, right? We don't fully appreciate what happened there. And we don't fully appreciate the challenge of the golden calf either. But the, but the reason that there's a parallel between those two stories, they rise very high and then they fall very hard, is because actually those two stories are identical. When God gives the Jewish people the second tablets, 
The second tablets are different than the first tablets. If the Jewish people would have gotten those first tablets, they would have remained on that high level. After they worshipped the golden calf, they received the tablets, but they received, the second tablets were different. In fact, it says, I'm not going to spend time now to find the verse, but it says the first tablets were completely divine. God made the whole thing. The second one, God told Moshe, I want you to carve it out. Actually, the second tablets were carved by Moshe. And the symbolism over there is that the second tablets, when God gave them to the Jewish people, they were on a much lower level of consciousness. And God said, here's what's going to happen. We've had two experiences where I raised the Jewish people up to this very, very high level. And both of those times, evil inclination came and pulled them right back down. And you know why? Because both of those times, I gave them a gift. I gave them spirituality as a gift. Spirituality cannot be gifted to somebody. They need to be able to attain that level on their own. The second tablets came, but with not the same clarity. The reason why Torah is so unclear to us, why we spend so much time, right? You ever, you've, 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 you've ever tried to learn it, a piece of, of Talmud, or you've heard it, uh, you know, just to try to, to, to analyze the Torah. It's so difficult. It's so concealed. It's so hidden. God says, I'm going to give it to you with mystery. So you'll have to work hard. Spirituality is not going to come easy. Prayer is not going to be naturally inspiring to you. It's going to be hard work. And you're going to pray and you're going to feel disconnected. And you're going to study Torah and you're going to feel disconnected. And you're going to try to feel spiritual and it's going to be hard. But the more that you do it, as soon as you earn any level of spirituality, you know that you're the owner. It wasn't gifted to you. And when you own it, you're going to fight a lot harder for it. And that's what's going to give you the, the spiritual muscles to overcome, to overcome the, the, the evil inclination. Any questions, I'm going to unmute. So um, if anyone has any like loud blasting music or if anyone is like you know, on a tirade in the back, now might be a time to just, you know, jump at the, po at the mute button. Rabbi. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask that when you started muting us, about the second tablets. Yeah. Were they different? And that, thank you for explaining it. Yeah, so they were very, very different. With the second tablet, what the second tablets were, the second tablets equipped us with the ability to get back to that level, but not, but it didn't jolt us up like the first tablets did. Is there any difference that physically, besides the writing that we can see that's different, the shape, the this? Um, I don't, um, it could be, it, it's very possible, you know, the Talmud says, the Talmud describes that the first tablets, the, because it was written by God, so it, it was a miraculous writing where, where the text of the first tablets pierced right through the full stone. It was a thick stone with text that pierced right through it, side to side. So it was a miraculous writing. It's I don't I'm not sure that the second tablets had that feature. Okay. But that we won't know until the ark is rediscovered exactly you know, what the difference were. What, what, when the ark is rediscovered. But for us, in terms of what it meant spiritually for us, the difference was we we reflected the tablets. Where 
where the, 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 the tablets were a reflection of our spiritual state. So but with the first tablets, which were completely divine, our souls became completely penetrated by, by sort of this consciousness. Now again, this is, these ideas are, are very, very lofty. And, and, but I, I, I think that it's always good to know where the North Pole is. Because even if you're not going to get to the North Pole, at least you know which way is north, if you know where the North Pole is. So I, I you know, I mean, it, it's wonderful, and all, it, it, it's wonderful to shoot for the stars. Um, but I think that what's important for us to take out of this whole thing is a reminder that we have the ability to have deep powerful spiritual experiences if we stay on the course and if we're consistent so you know sometimes people feel or, or, or they complain they say you know what judaism doesn't feel spiritual enough for me doesn't feel spiritual enough for me you know they they, they expect that somehow spirituality is going to be you know you'll you'll, you'll open up a sudor for the first time and suddenly it'll take your breath away it'll captivate you or or you know you'll you'll go to israel and you know suddenly you'll be a changed person a changed human being that's not the way spirituality works and again sometimes we get glimpses we get gifts that happen a little bit of gift of ruach that happens in our life as a gift but it's just a taste, it's just a sampling. You know, it's like the guy who sits in Costco and gives out the little pieces of cheese and then hopes you're gonna buy the cheese, right? So God gives you a little bit of a flavoring, a little bit of a sampling, and then says, if you want it, I'm not just gonna give it away as a gift. I tried that twice before, once in, once in the Garden of Eden and once at Sinai. But you cannot maintain spirituality if it's given as a gift. It only comes through the steady working of it consistency consistency right prayer every day you know i was on fire with prayer the for me for me this this whole the whole of social distancing closing of the synagogues right for me it was wonderful at first because it gave me i had a chance to slow down take my time and think about things a little bit more go at my own pace i sang a little bit more right and, and, and it lasted really well this week for whatever reason different things going on in the house i didn't have the time so I'm not necessarily praying on the same, it, it's, it's a roller coaster, it's highs and lows. Sometimes, you know, you're reading, you're learning Torah study and it's fantastic, it's enlightening and you feel like your mind's opening up and sometimes you're, you're at a block. That's spirituality. Spirituality is highs and lows, but it requires consistency, consistency, consistency and slowly, slowly, slowly you climb the ladder. And slowly you experience spirituality. It, it, it develops almost like you, you don't you don't even you don't even realize it. It's like watching your kids grow up, right? It just like suddenly happens. You don't like there's no like one one moment where like suddenly like hey yesterday you were well I shouldn't say that I feel like with girls it seems like it is like that where like one day they're one thing and the other day but but the overall right the overall process of growth right is slow and it's, it's slowly developing process and spirituality is like that as well but it certainly does it takes consistency and i think that is the the overall message um of this whole story of the jewish people being raised to this this very very high place and they stay there for a very short time 
and then they fall again. And God says, okay, now work your way back up. And that's really all of Judaism. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get to that place. And every now and then we have these amazing experiences that, that remind us why we're on this journey, right? But eventually, but, but it is a slow, it is a slow process and it's a beautiful process that we watch unfold. Okay. The spirituality though is so fleeting. Like I just think of when I went to Israel or I don't know, sometimes I'm studying with you, you feel something and then it's gone, you know? Right. So I guess it, you know, what you're saying, you need that consistency, but it's so hard to, to, what do you call it? Just hang on to, cause it's just right. recess. Right. And you're not supposed to, and you're not supposed right. to. That's, that's the, the, the equivalent of, of what we spoke about Thursday night of someone who, who's, who falls in love with someone and is madly in love and they can't stop thinking about the person. And then 10 years later, they come back and, they, you know, and, and, and they're sitting in front of the therapist and saying, I want to feel that again. And the, the honest therapist will say, no, that's not, you're not supposed to. That was what you had then. But by now, you were supposed to move beyond that and develop something that's that's not necessarily as, it's, it's not fireworks anymore. Fireworks was to just get you into what's supposed to be something that's not as dramatic, but much more consistent, much more concrete. And, 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 and spirituality also has that transition, the transition from, from moments of fireworks to okay now develop something that's much more that's much more authentic that's much more real something that you can carry with you anyone who seems like they're just floating on this cloud of of you know spirit of spirituality don't believe it don't believe it it's it's an act it's an act nobody has it nobody has it it's not possible sorry my doorbell Excuse me one minute, Sandy Levin. Hi, honey, good to see you. You too, you too. Good, I hope that makes sense. All right, everyone, uh, yeah. Quick question. Yeah. Is this the, the um, thinking behind the religious Jews um, practice of davening three times a day yes exactly 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 it's 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 a it's trying to maintain a constant a constant awareness constant and consistent if i'm always checking in because because morning prayer will wears away by the time we get to the afternoon and afternoon prayer wears away by the time you get to the evening so it's it's a constant check-in exactly Come here. All right, everybody. Gotta Thank go. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bonnie, was so Bye, good Nancy. to see you. Go Rabbi. All right. Keep on coming. Keep on coming on. I will. Thank you. Love okay, to the Bye.